0: It's so easy to be the victim of identity theft or or the victim of mistaken identity. I don't know if you've ever had this where you're walking uh, through the mall and somebody says, hey, I know you. You are, no, I'm not. Yeah, you used to be my neighbor. Sir, I never lived in Ohio. Oh, come on, sure you have. Well, (laughs) if I have, I I don't remember it. One of the first... one of the first non-kid movies I ever remember seeing was a, a movie It had been out for about 10 or 12 years, the first time I saw it, but it was the 1959 classic, Cary Grant in North by Northwest, right? He's this advertising executive that is, that is mistaken as this big-time international spy. And uh, they attempt to take his life, and the whole movie is him running and, and trying, to, trying to recapture uh, his name. One of the it's one of the Alfred Hitchcock classics. And and these these mistaken identity movies. There, there, there are a lot of them. Tom Hanks did the Man with One Red Shoe. Um, Jeff Bridges did The Big Lebowski. There's all these Freaky Friday movies and all that. And and the reason why these movies are so popular is because we can relate to them. We we can relate to uh, maybe not being mistaken as an international spy, but but we can relate to the issue of mistaken identity because. I think that we all deal with it on some level in our life. The issue of of mistaken identity or, or identity theft. Paul deals with this in Colossians. He says this. In Colossians 2, 6, he says, So then, just as you have received Christ as Lord, you see it up here. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. In fact, I I want you to read this with me. Would you do that? So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Okay, so how are we supposed to live our lives just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord? That begs an interesting question, doesn't it? How did we receive Christ Jesus as Lord? Ephesians chapter 2 tells us this. It tells us that we are saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. And yet... There is this danger of getting caught up in mistaken identity and even identity theft. In fact, here's what I want to do. I want to I take just a little bit of time here in, in Colossians chapter 2 and, and unpack what it says. So then... Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive. I think that's a powerful expression. See to it that no one takes you captive. Through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith and power of God, who raised him from the dead. You were dead in your sins and in this uncircumcision, uh, uh, uncircumcision of your sinful nature. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins having canceled the written code with all of its regulations that, that, that all that was against us and, and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. I, I love... The imagery that the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to write here. That God took away all of our sins, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you. Don't let anyone judge you about issues or Ideas or concepts or philosophies. I want to drop down to verse number 20. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Drop down a little bit further. Colossians 3.1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Since you, then you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on the things above. Set your mind on the things above. It has, it has been the challenge of man since the dawn of creation, this challenge of understanding identity and, and walking in, in who we are. And there are several things that, that that come against us and try to try to steal our, our identity. And, and we could talk about our, our financial identity. We could talk about our corporate identity. We could talk about all those things. Today I want to focus on our spiritual identity because that's the identity that truly matters. That's the identity that determines destiny. That's the, uh, that's the identity that gives you real peace. That's the identity that, that brings legitimate value into our life. It's where joy comes from, when we're able to walk and live by the Spirit and and have a, a, a firm grasp of that, what that spiritual identity is. And in Colossians 2 and Colossians 3, God clearly articulates what our spiritual identity is to be and those things that tend to come against it. We, we see it here in Colossians, in Colossians 2 uh, it, as we looked at in the beginning. It, where it says in verse number 8, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. One of the big things that comes at at us is this issue of unhealthy or inaccurate philosophy. Hollow and deceptive philosophy. We live in a world where people love to philosophize. They love to talk to you about ideals and concepts. They love to challenge us with this then is how you should live. And and the world is is full of, of these rules and regulations. And the church is masterful at it. I've often thought, why is it that the church so focuses on rules and regulations? And you know, what I've, you know what, I've, I've, what I've surmised? I've surmised this. That one of the big reasons why the church struggles so much with rules and regulations is by human nature, we are competitive individuals. By human nature, we're competitive individuals, right? Nobody sets out and goes, you know what, here's what I want to do. I want to... I want to strive for mediocrity. Here's my hope. My hope is that when I run this race, my hope is that I could somehow finish in the middle of the pack. Right? Nobody ever sits out to do that. I guarantee you there's nobody who's going to participate in Miss America this year and go, I, I, if I can just finish in the top 25, that would be awesome. Right? And, and so we have this, we have this drive. And, and, I, and I will tell you, I believe... That this issue, this, 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 this competitive nature that we have, that, that maybe we suppress and we suppress it because of anxiety, but we all have it. The reason that you have this competitive nature is because the enemy has distorted what God has put in you because God has created you to produce. Let me say that again, God has created you to produce, God has created you to achieve, God has created you to accomplish, God has created you to be successful in your endeavors. That's the reason why you'll find Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says that you're saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. But the very next verse says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for us to do. Now, does God need you to do something? Absolutely not, friend, because God has no need. He spoke the word and the world came into order. So God does not need you to do something. There's nowhere in Scripture and there's nowhere in history where there's any evidentiary support that God needs you to do something. Now God desires you to do things. And why does God desire you to do it? He desires you to do it so you can experience the power of God moving in you. You can experience the destiny that God has for you. You can can experience the fulfillment that comes when you accomplish, when you produce. And so God has placed within each one of us both the ability and the appetite to be effective, to be successful, to be productive, to be victorious. And what happens is the enemy distorts that and convinces us that our identity is wrapped up in that and so it creates in us this unhealthy competition. And as a result, it fuels an unhealthy and an even toxic environment and the Christian is not exempt from that and the church is certainly not exempt from that and so how can we be better than the other Christian well we're better than the other Christian by I can quote more more Bible verses than you okay I live more holy than you my life is more pious than you I have better spiritual gifts than you I, I can sing louder than you Right? And it becomes this very competitive environment. And then in a competitive environment, what happens is this. Instead of operating cooperatively, we operate competitively. And there are, there, there are a myriad of individuals who have been burned by religion. And they burn by, they've been burned by religion because of the competitive nature. And then the last thing that we want is to have to live by a rule that someone else doesn't have to live by. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a sneak preview of next Sunday's message. I, I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn to Acts chapter Acts chapter 15. Wasn't planning on doing this, but I want to give this is just kind of a little, little free bonus. Doesn't mean that you don't get to skip next Sunday, um, but I want to give you, um, I want to give you just a, a, a quick quick little free bonus on Sunday morning because I think it's very important that we understand this. I think it's very important that that we grasp this undeniable principle because it's it's very easy for us to misunderstand what this, this thing that Jesus did for us when he went to the cross. I think it's very easy for us to misconstrue what being a Christ follower means and it's very easy for the church to live um, a skewed existence and as a result present a distorted view of what it means to be a Christ follower to the world and it's the reason why so many have walked away from the church or reject the church because of this distorted, unhealthy, unbiblical, ungodly view. So. When, when, when Jesus was crucified, there were a lot of people that were against him, right? It's Palm Sunday. We, we celebrate Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday is the celebrating of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And when Jesus came into Jerusalem, there were those who shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They threw their coats and laid them on the, on, on the street in front of him. They laid palm branches in front of him and they, they welcomed him as they would welcome royalty. They welcomed him as they would welcome the king. And these were the commoners. These were the the everyday people. While the political and religious elite on the other side of Jerusalem were plotting his death. The very ones who should have had such an exhaustive knowledge of scripture that they recognized Jesus as Messiah, they were their their, their understanding was clouded by their hyper competitive judgmental nature. They had somehow got sucked into hollow and deceptive philosophy that they could not see what was happening in front of them. Jesus Christ was crucified. He then on the third day rose again and as a result, a bunch of these people who were passionately against him, who, who these, these folks called Pharisees, a bunch of these people came to Christ. Eventually, it spread to others. It spread to Gentiles, which are people who are not Jews. The vast majority of us here are Gentiles. And so the portion of Scripture that we're going to look at, this really applies to us because we are Gentiles. And so what happened was this. A, a, a Gentiles were, were, were becoming were becoming christ followers and those who were who were jews who were used to following all these laws all these rules and regulations they had that they had had over the years uh, they said okay it's a good thing that you're becoming a uh, christians but now what you have to do is you have to follow all these rules okay and uh, and and this this first surfaced at antioch and so uh, 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 paul and barnabas Along with some others, they went from Antioch to Jerusalem to ask the church leaders, okay, what are the rules and regulations for being a Christian? Let me read this to you. It it says this, it says that Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way and they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria and, 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 and as they did, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders uh, to whom they reported everything God had done. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, okay, remember that, that, that the party of the Pharisees. Who were the Pharisees? The Pharisees were the hyper-religious who actually wanted Jesus to be crucified, right, because they were, they, were, they were deceived. So some of these people that were Pharisees that got caught up in in, in the politics of religion, when Jesus rose from the dead, they went, oh, my goodness, he really was what he claimed to be. Right? And so they became converted. But sometimes it's tough when, when you have... When you have concepts and ideas and habits ingrained in you, sometimes it's tough to get away from those things. So even though they accepted Jesus Christ as Messiah, they still felt like you had to live up to all these rules and regulations. And so the, 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 some that belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, these Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. And the, the apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. And Peter says this, Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe the message. God, who knows my heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus, that we are saved just as they are. So here's what they do. They write a letter. I'm going to skip down. This is Acts 15. It says this in Acts 15, starting in verse number 24. It says, we have heard that someone out uh, from, uh, from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds with what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends, Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. Now I want you to listen to this, if you want to know what the rules are for being a Christian, you might want to write this down, okay, I'm going to give you all the rules for being a Christian. Are you ready? And this isn't Ed Garvin's rules, this is the rules that under the anointing of the Holy Spirit are written in Acts chapter 15, these are the rules from the guys who started the church, okay. This is Peter, right, one of Jesus' disciples, James, Jesus' brother, and here's what they said, okay. So, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols. Anybody having a problem with that? Okay. From blood. Anybody having a problem with that? From the meat of strangled animals and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Isn't that interesting? That's the rules. Well, what about, what, about, what about women wearing makeup? It's not in here. What about cutting hair? Uh, it's not in here. What about women wearing earrings? Not in here. What about men wearing earrings? Not in here either. Well, let me show you in Lamentations 42. Well, here's the interesting thing. It says this. It says... That in Christ, okay, scripture we were looking at a few minutes ago, Colossians 2, what did Christ Jesus do? He canceled the written code. Now don't go out and get your earrings pierced. Don't uh, Men, don't go out and get your ears pierced. Okay. But we get caught up on all these different issues. Okay? And the problem is, here's, here's the problem. We start focusing on the rules and regulations. And what you're going to find is this. In Colossians chapter 2, God deals with us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit inspiring Paul. God deals with us and he says, listen, all these rules and regulations that institution tries to put on you, it's unhealthy, it's unwholesome, it's ungodly. Then you go to chapter 3 and it says, this then is how you should live. And what's interesting is this, is in Colossians chapter 2, it's all the things that we do to try to protect our image or the perception of image that we think we should have. And the word of God says this, it says don't get caught up in all that. And then in Colossians chapter 3, there is this, here's how you should live. And if you look at that list, of the things that you're supposed to do, rid yourself of anger, malice, slander, rage. What it does is it talks about how we're supposed to relate to one another, what our relationships are supposed to look like, our vertical relationship, the relationship between us and God, and our horizontal relationships, the relationships that we have with one another. And yet here's what happens Satan will convince the well-intentioned to get caught up in the do's and don'ts because what he does is he feeds on this issue of image and this distorted desire that God has put in us to produce that the enemy twists and turns into a competitive issue. And so because I want to be a better, a better Christian than you, I'm going to make sure that I live my life, at least in the public eye, a bit more pious than you do. So my conversation is going to be a bit more religious than yours. My dress is going to be a bit more conservative than yours. Okay? My activity, the media that I talk about, is going to be a bit more refined than yours. And all the while beneath the surface, knowing that I cannot live up to the image that I'm attempting to present, I am bound internally by guilt and shame. Does anybody else live in this world? And friends, if you're a second or a third generation Christian, you have been immersed in this culture. And and let me tell you, the generation, the the, the current prominent generation, the millennials, they reject it in wholesale fashion. And and, and rightfully so. And and if the body of Christ doesn't come to understand this and deal with it, then this will be the church's last generation. Because we've reached the point as a culture where the, 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 the young people that are coming up, they go, yeah, I don't want any part of that. I don't want any part of that image business. I don't, I don't want any part of that. I don't want any part of that competitive. So I don't want it. And, and, it, and it's, it's not that they're spiritually insensitive, insensitive. In fact, they have, I believe, a heightened spiritual sensitivity. But they wonder why we don't live the word. It's the reason why Paul, when he wrote to the Galatians, in in, in Galatians chapter 3, he says this. He says, you foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? It's an interesting statement, isn't it? You, you, You foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? He says this, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was portrayed as crucified, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? This goes back to what it says in Colossians 2. Since then, you have received Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live in him. Okay, how did, how did you receive Jesus Christ as Lord? How did I receive Jesus Christ as Lord? We received him as a free gift, right? The wages of sin is death, but the gift, the gift, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We did nothing to deserve it. We did nothing to earn it. We did nothing to receive it beyond simply acknowledging the grace and mercy of God. So just as you have received Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live in him. And and here's what happens. Let me just just hopefully set you free a little bit. This issue of grace, it's not a license to sin. It's not a license to sin. It's a freedom from the bondage of sin. Let me say that again. It's not a license to sin. It's a freedom from the bondage of sin. And, and, and when we understand that and we walk in a, in a healthy understanding of grace, what it does is it sets us free. But it's very easy for us to get sucked into an inaccurate philosophy. And again, it's, it's happened, you see it throughout Scripture. I've, we're in Colossians 2, I mentioned Galatians 3. and Romans 1 it says this, it says, The wrath of God is being revealed against all mankind because of the treacherous ways of man. It says, "For all the, although they knew God and even acknowledged God, they rejected God's plan and exchanged the glory of God for man-made glory. For although they knew God, they rejected him and chose man-made glory over God's glory. And, and the, you know, the, the thing about man-made issues and man-made connection to God, which is religion, What's nice about that is it, we can contain it, we can confine it. And also um, we, can, we, can, we can achieve in it. We can gain notoriety in it. Um, when you walk in grace, I, I can't be a better grace person than you. You know what I'm saying? Hey, I'm, I got more grace in my life than you have in your life. Wow, if you had the grace I had, if you had the grace I had, you could be a spiritual giant. See, that doesn't even sound right, does it? But this issue when we understand and we walk in, in grace, but, but we get caught up in these, in these unhealthy, inaccurate philosophies. I remember as a teenager, I, I, I was not real excited about church. Because this is what I understood about church, don't smoke, don't dance, don't drink, don't chew, don't hang around with those that do. Church was the land of no. Church was the place of no fun, right? And church was a place of a bunch of hypocrites. I'll never forget, after I, after I, my junior year in high school, after I recommitted my life to Christ, I was going to this, this, this little church, this little Assembly of God church and we had an evangelist come and the evangelist came and uh, a Sunday morning, he gets up and he starts preaching against, well, everything. And, uh, and he starts off and he goes, he goes. so let me talk about that black box on top of your TV. Remember the black boxes on top of the TV, right? He goes, let me talk about the black box on the top of your TV. You all know, you've got in your house, Cinemax, Cinemax. You know you're watching it, Flickr, the late night TV. And you got HBO, Hell's Best Outreach. Now let me tell you what I, enjoyed, what I enjoyed the best about this. Was we had three pastors on staff at that church and I had been in all three of their homes and all three of them had that black box. <laughs> and they wouldn't let their kids go to the movies because it was wrong to go to the movie. But three months later when that same movie came out on Cinemax, what channel is that on again? And I remember as a, as a teenager going, there's, there's something not right about this. By the way, this, just on a side note, one of the things that I, I love about the team that we have here, we're the same people on Monday that we are on Sunday. Now we not we might not be as religious as you want us to be on Sunday, and I might say things uh, from the pulpit on Sunday that you go, I can't believe the pastor just said that. But I tell you what, here's what you can be confident of. I'm the same person on Monday that I am on Sunday. And I don't stand before you as a religious person, I don't stand before you as a pious person, I have to die to my flesh daily. I live by grace. I live by grace. The enemy, he, he tries to suck us in with these with these inaccurate philosophies. And he also tries to hammer us through individual failures. And, and, and that's another part of, of, of the problem of this, this whole competitive Christianity rules Christianity thing is. is because we cannot live up to it. Because there's no way we can live up to it. We're racked by guilt. Paul says this. He says, listen, when you were dead... In, the un, in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations. All that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. I was talking to an individual this week that was telling me what an awful person they were fact they said this they said I could best describe myself as garbage and I lovingly said to them I lovingly rebuked them and I said I don't ever want to hear you say that again I said because when you do that you're operating in arrogance and you are cheapening the work of the cross let me say this again okay when you speak those negative things over yourself, ma'am, when you speak your, those negative things over yourself, sir, here's what you do. You operate in arrogance and you cheapen the work of the cross. Because if you're convinced that somehow you can do something that is too big for the power of God to reconcile, you put yourself on way too high of a platform. And it's an affront to the supremacy and sovereignty of God. See, very God of very God became man, lived a sinless life, but but allowed himself to be nailed to a cross to pay the price for your sin. There is no sin that you can commit or that I can commit that Jesus Christ did not take care of. And here's here's oftentimes what Christians will say. They'll say this, totally understand that. Okay, And I, 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 I believed that when I became a Christian. But after I became a Christian, so let me get this straight. So Jesus Christ, the work that he did on the cross, it has the power to take care of the sin that you committed before you were a Christ follower. But once you became a Christ follower, he, he doesn't have the ability to respond to any of that? Does that make any sense? Somebody help me. Because that doesn't, I, I can't follow that logic Right? And, 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 and listen, that's what Paul's dealing with here in Colossians chapter 2. That's the reason why he goes on and he deals with the issue of, of people that will speak that junk over us, intimidating people. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or by what you drink, with regard to religious fe- festivals, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. You know what's interesting to me? Thousands of court cases are now being overturned by DNA evidence. 70% of those court cases, of those thousands of court cases that are being overturned by DNA evidence, you know what the person was convicted, with main, the main thing that the person was convicted, what they used? Eyewitness testimony. Eyewitness testimony where somebody said, she did it. She did it. Let me tell you the story of of Christopher Abernathy. Christopher Abernathy in 1985 was an 18-year-old young man living in Park Forest, Illinois. Christopher Abernathy uh, suffered with some significant learning disabilities. And in 1984, there was a young girl who 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 was brutally murdered in Park Forest. Almost a year later, they picked up Christopher Abernathy and questioned him and actually got him to sign a confession because an eyewitness said Christopher Abernathy did it. And he was arrested. Now, right after he was re- arrested, he, re- he recanted his confession, but it didn't matter. He was, he was tried and sentenced to life in prison without parole. Christopher Abernathy, the reason that he gave that confession... Was because the police told him that if he would sign this piece of paper, they would let him go home to his mom. The eyewitness admitted that they lied. But Christopher Abernathy spent 30 years in prison before DNA evidence exonerated him. He lost the majority of his life because of false witness against him and he himself speaking things over his life that were untrue. So here's the question that I have for you. Are are you here today And at some level, you're living in a prison of your own making because you have bought into the lies that people have spoken over you and the lies that you have spoken over yourself. Things that you have spoken over yourself that that devalue who you are in Christ. Words that have been spoken over you and, and names that have been given to you that do not accurately reflect how God sees you. Because friend, it's one thing to have somebody swipe your credit card and to have to navigate through that. It's a whole nother thing altogether. To have your spiritual identity taken. Because you become victim of somebody speaking over you or you even speaking untruths over yourself. If anyone be in Christ, they are a new creation. But our identity is stripped because of these inaccurate, unhealthy, hollow, and deceptive philosophies, we allow ourselves to become imprisoned by our failures, we get beat up by intimidating people, then we wander into a church and the church starts layering on us all these irrelevant rules. What it says in Colossians two twenty, since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? So what do I do about it? How do I, how do I respond to this? How how do I protect my spiritual identity? Got good news for you. Look at Colossians chapter three, just those those first few verses. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your heart on the things above. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your, your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Why? I love what it says in verse number three, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So how do I live? Well, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and creeds, that's all idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. recalibrate my heart. I reprioritize my mind. And I reconfigure my relationships. Starts in the heart. Since then you've been raised with Christ, set your heart on the things above. Once my heart is settled, I I want that to sink in. Once my heart is settled, then it's time for me to deal with my mind. One of the big problems that we have is we oftentimes, we try to deal with the mind first. You will never settle your mind until you settle your heart. If you get nothing else out of this morning, I want you to get that. You will never settle your mind until you settle your heart. And so many of us, we get stuck in, shackled by these questions that bounce around in our head. And by the way... Oftentimes, there are questions that we've answered over and over again. But it doesn't matter. The enemy will still bring the questions. And it shouldn't be a surprise to us. The very first time we ever hear the enemy speaking in Genesis, what does he do? He asks a question, the scheme of the question. And he'll throw all these questions into your mind. Okay? You cannot settle your mind until you settle your heart. You have to settle the heart first. That's why God always deals with, all throughout Scripture, God always deals with the heart first. That's why when we come in here, we say, Lord, I give you my heart. And when I, when I turn my heart towards the things above, and here's what I can assure you. There are some of you here this morning that you've yet to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And in your heart, you know that it's something that you're supposed to do. But in your mind, you got all this stuff bouncing around. And in your heart, you know you should accept the free gift of salvation. But in your head, you're going, I don't know if I can live up to all that stuff. I don't know if I can walk away from all the things that I'm doing. I don't know if I can live a life that the church is going to expect me to live. I don't know if I want to. Can I tell you, don't worry about all that. Okay? Most of that is mad-made junk that we at Calvary don't buy into anyway. Let's talk about your heart. Get Get your heart right the reason why we'll ask the question, is your heart right with God? And once you do that, once you set your heart on the things above, it becomes so much easier to, to set your mind on the things above. And, and and when my when my heart is right and my mind is right, the relationship issues just flow naturally. And that's where you find later in Colossians three, where it says this, therefore is God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, right? My heart's in the right place. My mind is, 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 is repurposed, it's reconfigured. It's, it's, my, my, my mind's in a right spot. And so I can grasp this. Therefore as, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Clothe yourselves. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another. Forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. And over all these virtues, put on love. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Set your heart on the things above. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. See, you came in here today and you were troubled. You're, you're, you're dealing with the, the different aspects of life and you find yourself regularly troubled. You, you lay your head on your pillow and, and you're troubled. And you know all the scriptures and you can quote them. He will keep those in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. He will, he will give them sweet sleep. You can quote all the scriptures and yet when you lay your head on your pillow, the mind races and the heart aches. Set your heart on the things above. God, I surrender my heart to You. I surrender my love, I surrender my passions. I, God, I surrender them to You. Let there be a renewal in my mind to where I see myself and I see those around me from a different point of view. I'm convinced of this. It's... It's time for you to walk in your real identity. It's time for us as a group to walk in our real identity. It's time for the church to walk in our real identity. Because we live in a world that needs to know Jesus. They need to experience joy and peace. And Jesus is still the answer.